All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholics Against Militarism podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the program. Um, I've interviewed him twice before, and it's always an experience. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Um, Dr. E. Michael Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine, and he's the author of The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and Logos Rising. And is there any, are there any other important uh, tidbits of information we need to know about you? There's a, my newest book is called The Dangers of Beauty. It's oh, I haven't heard that, about this one. Yeah, it's a book on aesthetics. Oh. Uh, the subtitle is uh, The Conflict Between Concupiscence and Mimesis in the Fine Arts. Uh, it begins with a discussion of painting in Italy in the uh, 15th, 16th century. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to a discussion of music in Germany in the 18th century. And then it goes to a discussion of poetry in England in the 19th century. And then it deals with the 20th century when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Is it is it sort of Girardian? Is there a little René Girard in there? You mean because I talk about mimesis? Yeah. I, I he he his uh understanding of mimesis is um not the same as mine. I'm talking about Aristotle's concept uh that art is imitation of nature. Okay. So my mimesis means imitation. Art is imitation of nature. And I'm okay. saying that's that's all it ever was, that's all it will ever be. And if it's not recognizable as imitation of nature, it's not art. Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah so that it, sounds be really it, it begins with the cave paintings in Altamira, Spain. If okay. you've seen them with mm -hmm. the buffalo, they paint uh, buffalo oh, on the, I've probably on the seen ceilings. That. Yeah, it very. Uh, um, this was done 30,000 years ago. And it got immediately into a controversy between H.G. Uh, Wells and G.K. Chesterton. H.G. Uh, Wells wrote a history of the world and began by talking about cavemen and uh, about their sex lives and things like that. And then Chesterton wrote The Everlasting Man in response and said, the only thing we know about these people for sure is that they were artists. Yeah. And art, art is the signature of man. And uh, he, he took it from there, wrote a whole book on it. And I think that's absolutely true. So this, really, is in, yeah. this is in many ways the sequel to my book, on uh, Logos Rising. That's about, uh, there, are th there are three transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful. And they are all aspects of being and all aspects of God, mm -hmm. because being is God, or ultimate being is God. Uh, and so the point of this book is that there, there are moments in history where the artist can portray what the philosopher cannot explain. Large periods of history. We're probably living one through one right now. Uh, and that's precisely what happened in the art world uh, in Italy with Giotto. Although Giotto did do a portrait of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, whether he read them or not, or whether he read the passage, but what what happened over this period of time? Uh, let's say from the Greeks to Aquinas, let's say about fifteen hundred years, is the art is always imitation of nature, but the concept of nature changed, and the main thing that changed the concept of nature was the uh, creation. 
it was the uh, advent of Christianity where suddenly people understood that in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. That made God an artist. This is something that Plato or Aristotle did not know. They did not know there was a creation. They thought the world was eternal. If, if the world is eternal, then it is also God. And at that point, you're involved in pantheism. And it, it blocked it blocked uh, any it blocked development in art it blocked development in thinking uh, plato's explanation of reality as he understood it you know the two realms the mm -hmm. realm of forms and the realm which is comprehensible but uh, not real and the world of reality which is real but not comprehensible because it's in constant flux uh, he created an aesthetics where where basically art was imposing those forms on matter, uh, like the temple, the mm -hmm. Greek temple, it's it's geometrical figures. It's the circle, right. the rectangle, and the triangle, uh, and that's what art was uh, until Aquinas came along and understood that uh, creation, the understanding of creation, changed all that. And now you could discover forms by simply looking at nature, because. Right. Uh, because God was an artist and nature is his artwork. And so okay. there'll be a there'll be a logos in nature itself. Anyway, that's that's pretty much what that book is about. Interesting. Yeah. And and so um I'm sure that the idea that the body was bad and you know it was just something to be escaped and everything, that probably went against the idea that God was was an artist and a creator of of what was right. good, right? Right. Pla yeah. Plato Plato felt that the soul was in the body the way uh, a pilot is in a ship or let's say the way you are in your automobile mm -hmm. and uh, so the, the 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 soul existed before the body it was kind of like an angel and then it got imprisoned in the body so that's obviously a negative attitude toward the body right and uh all sorts of things flowed from that yeah, uh, but but that, that that changed very pretty quickly because Aristotle didn't didn't agree with Plato on this issue. He kept asking him where the forms were, uh, where are they, <laughs> and yeah. no one could find them. Uh, but he said that the soul is the form of the body. The soul well, that was okay. the soul is the form of the body, and he said uh, if if the soul were an if the body were an eye the soul would be seeing. Mm. If the body were a hatchet, the soul would be chopping. So it's like the first act, it is the basis uh, for what you are. It is the kind of blueprint of what you are and how you act. This was a very sophisticated understanding, a, mm -hmm. a big step forward from Plato. And of course, Aquinas was more influenced by Plato then by, I'm sorry, by Aristotle more than Plato, mm -hmm. and carried this forward into his rational psychology. Well, this is this is all really interesting how it applies to this article that I was hoping to talk to you about today, because when we're talking about Catholics on the Supreme Court, um, there was an article written by James Carroll that I, I think I emailed you about. Yes, yes. Written in August of 2022, and he gets into this, like when does the soul go, go into the body and when when does that exist and all of this stuff. So even in talking about the Supreme Court in 2022, 
it opens up all these questions, um, of course, with regard to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, but yeah, your book sounds really great. What was the title of it? One more time. The Dangers of Beauty. Dangers of Beauty. Okay. And and is if this one want, also if, like 800 pages? No, this is a mere 600 pages. Oh, okay. All right. So this is the And it also, it also has, but, but on the other hand, it's much bigger than the other books. The pages are bigger. So, okay. and then, but then it has pictures too. So, you know, okay. 600 big pages with pictures. Okay. Great. Well, that sounds that sounds really awesome. Um, I have heard you back when you were doing the podcast circuit, like in 2019, 2020, I listened to you a lot. And you would often talk about the Supreme Court as just this institution that rubber stamps the plans of the oligarchs. Right. Um, and so I thought of you with the overturning of Roe v. Wade this past summer. And I was just one, wanted to get like your quick take on on that and, and any thoughts on it. Did that change your opinion of what the Supreme Court is and does or not? Yeah, obviously, I have to modify my my opinion something because of that. The, the, the most the most significant event that happened after the overturning of Roe versus Wade was the fact that 140 Jewish organizations uh, came out and said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. I now, didn't know was, that. I did not know that. Wow. Where have you been? Where have you been? Where I know I've been? been. I've actually been trying uh, is, to start a company, so I've been like off the news circuit. For the a news. While. The news hasn't reached Colorado yet. <laughs> Not in the mountains. No. This is this is a very significant development. Uh, and then it developed after that. First of all, there's a court case going through the, the system in Florida where a rabbi is saying if you restrict abortion you are preventing jews from practicing their religion right and and i think that well not that i'm conflating these two things at all but i think that also i mean there have been you know the satan satanists are saying this is a this is a, a sacrament so we need to be able to i said that that's i am it. i am i am totally responsible for saying it's a sacrament well, I, I think the they're who, saying it. They're like admitting it now, and they're saying that they should be able. It's it's part of their religious. But I didn't know that Jewish organizations were doing that. I thought it was like people who are self proclaimed Satanists. I don't know. No, well, no. Maybe it's now, both. Maybe now, it's both. now you're getting into deep water here because uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said to the Jews, "Your father is Satan." And uh, St. John okay. in the Apocalypse. Well, it, it went there quick. I didn't really mean to go there. So, but yeah, you, um, you dialed I, I it up, up really fast. Yeah, that that yeah. But I know I know actual satanic organizations are doing this. I can put up links. I'll research it and put the links up for people, so I'm not accused of spreading misinformation. I didn't know that the Jewish organizations were 140. So I just. Okay. Uh, I, I was just uh, there was a wow. right to a right to life banquet here in uh, South Bend, Indiana, and the keynote speaker was Ben Shapiro, and he gave a blah 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 kind of speech, preached to the choir for about an hour, and I said, "Well, Ben, there's been a significant development. 140 Jewish organizations said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value." He said, "That's not true." Well, wait a minute, Ben. <laughs> How can you say it's not true? When 140 Jewish, I, I mean, can't, don't we have to accept what they're saying? I mean, I accept it. I, if you say it's a fundamental Jewish value, I have to accept what you're saying. No, no, it's not true. I know a rabbi. Well, first of all, you know, you're not uh, the Pope. There's no Jewish Pope. There's no Jewish magisterium. It's majority rules. That's all it is. And these organizations have said it. 
So we're still coming to grips with the meaning of this because now they're uh, a woman. This is all Washington Post. If you're anti-abortion, you're anti-Semitic. Well, this is somebody on, in the Washington Post who was was yeah, she it's a Jewish blogger. wrote that or of course well, she was the... Jewish. Okay. Wow. Of course she was Jewish. I think maybe so maybe now. Yeah. I was just going to say maybe mean? this is the problem because like they don't have like we do like you can look up there's a catechism sitting on my shelf and you can look up what the Catholic Church teaches and it's very clear. Uh, well, it's not always very clear, but it's there. But I think sometimes with with Judaism, it's like it's a little confusing, like what they actually believe as a religion. And so yes, it is. It's very confusing because they have a, a humongous book called the Talmud, uh, which is just one opinion after another, and they're often contradictory. Okay. And so, so this was the previous position. You know, it's the old uh, th uh, two Jews, three opinions position. But that's not true anymore. There is unanimity now among the Jews that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. After I said this, I started talking, referring to abortion as the Jewish sacrament. Uh, which uh, people yelled at me for that, but it's true. And so uh, then after that dies down a little bit, a hundred conservative rabbis show up in St. Louis and they say abortion is a conservative Jewish value. Well, I can't disagree with these people. I'm just saying if, you, if your religion involves the uh, killing of unborn human beings, you're not worshiping Yahweh. You are worshiping Moloch. So suddenly it becomes clear Jews, the people who call themselves Jews, are Moloch worshipers. We knew that we we sort of suspected this because Jesus Christ, as I said, said, Your father is Satan. This has always been a strain in Jewish history of the Hebrews. First thing they did when they left Egypt was started worshiping the golden calf, which is Moloch, which means you offer up your children in sacrifice. Uh, so it's, but now it's much clearer in the in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade. The situation is much clearer. The only people who don't get it are the people in the right to life movement, who feel that polite people don't say things like this. It, it's not polite to say Jews uh, are behind abortion, even though they are themselves saying it and demanding that uh, it be honored as their religion. The, okay. the Right to Life movement hasn't caught up with this yet. Wow. Okay. So can you send me that information, like the list of organizations? Do you have a list of or of organizations? Uh, no, I don't have the list, but you oh. can look it up. I mean, I'll, I can send you the article. The article will appear okay. in, uh, in Culture Wars. It'll be in the January issue of Culture Wars because January is Right to Life Month, you know? Right, That's right. the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Wow. So this is a completely new development. So what did it mean? So when the Jew says now that if you prohibit me, if you restrict abortion, you prohibit me from practicing my religion, what they're really saying is with Roe versus Wade, they impose their religion on all of us, on every person in the United States of America. And so for 50 years, we've been living under Jewish hegemony. Hi, everyone. Um, this is something I'm just splicing in after the interview is done. I emailed uh, Dr. Jones after our interview and ask him, asked him to clarify what he means when he uses the term the Jews. Um, and he said that the term the Jews refers to the chosen people who rejected Christ. 
It is not a biological term. The basis of Jewish identity is rejection of Logos by the descendants of the people, quote, people who killed Christ and are enemies of the entire human race, unquote, as St. Paul puts in 1 Thessalonians 2. A Jew is different than a pagan who does not know Christ. So that was an E. Michael Jones explanation of who he's referring to, and I just thought it was important to stress that he doesn't consider it a biological term. In other words, he's not referring to a group of people that can be identified by their genetic makeup. So I don't know if that helps anyone, but I wanted to insert that in the video, or sorry, in the podcast, just for purposes of clarification. Thanks. I'll get back to the interview now. Uh, that is a significant event. So what happened over this 50 years? Um, I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to school at a private school run by the Christian brothers. And all around the suburbs were all these girls, Catholics, Catholic academies. And over this period of time, let's say from the mid-60s onward, those nuns all became feminists. Mm -hmm. And once they became feminists, they started preaching a new gospel to the girls, the gospel of sexual liberation in one form or another. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, those girls started acting out sexually. Uh, I can tell you when it started. It was 1967. I can I can uh, almost date it. Suddenly, uh, the, the false settings changed and all these Catholic girls started acting out. Some of them got pregnant. And some of those who got pregnant had abortions. We just did a, uh, I just did a review of a brilliant book called Boomer's Families. It's in the latest issue of Culture Wars magazine, a memoir by a, young, a lady who's seven years younger than me, uh, uh, who um, talked about how her family, a strong Catholic family, five children, was destroyed by sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So she's talking about exactly the period I'm talking about. So what happens when you have an abortion? I just told you, it's the Jewish sacrament. Not only that, it's the Jewish sacrament of initiation, just like baptism. You become a Jew. All these Catholic ladies became Jews. Now, how do I know they became Jews? Well, because they started acting like Jews. And how do I know they started acting like Jews? Because they started voting like Jews. And that's the story of Pennsylvania. The, the, the recent election there, you had a Jew and someone, some form of Catholic, a, ser a serious Christian, and apparently the swing vote in Pennsylvania and Michigan for that proposition, uh, the abortion proposition, was Catholic women. Now, I'm going to go a step farther and say it was Catholic women who had abortions, who did not repent. You have When you commit a sin, you have two options. You can go to confession and say you're sorry and start all over again. Or you can say, no, I'm not going back. This is, I'm free now. This is liberation. I have the right to kill my child. And I, I feel bad a lot of the times, but whenever I get together with a large group of women who has also had abortions, I feel kind of good. I feel empowered. That's the word. I feel empowered. And the, the, the institution that figured this out was the Democratic Party. And they mobilized these women as a way of maintaining their hold on political power. That's the short, that's the short story here yeah. of the whole what happened. <laughs> and maybe something to do with why there was not this red wave 
that everyone I've even heard I've even heard this like theory saying like they purposely <laughs> overturned Roe v. Wade this year to get the Democrat women out to vote because they don't have Trump as a mobilizer anymore. So they needed something to galvanize the the women. Um and abortion for many women is is this sacrosanct thing. Um and they would get out and, and vote Democrat. It's their religion. It's their religion. That's why I'm telling saying that they're all Jewish. It's their religion. It's sacred. You know, don't touch the sacred right of mine. I have the right. I'm a worshiper of Moloch. I have a right to kill my children for financial gain. It helps my career. How many women have said that? How many women have said that? Who's this chick? I forget her name now. She was in Les Miserables. Anne Hathaway. Hathaway. Anne Hathaway said she's on The View, which is all women, other women, you know. It's it's an act of mercy. What? <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, not for your child, honey. I guarantee you uh, it wasn't an act of mercy for him or her. Killing people is not an act of mercy. Right. So so let's talk let's talk about this um this article because it has to do with this. I mean, if yeah, it, there's a lot going on in this conversation, but um I'm going to talk about this article The Sins of the High Court's Supreme Catholics by James Carroll, the overturn of Roe v. Wade is part of ultra-conservatives' long history of rejecting Galileo, Darwin, and Americanism. This, this, is, this is so preposterous. It doesn't deserve any type of serious scrutiny. Okay, so let's, first of all, who is James Carroll? How yeah, did he, who is what he? Was, what, is, what was he before he was a pundit? Is this the New York Times or is this the New Yorker? The New Yorker. A pundit. What was he before he was a pundit for the New Yorker? Well, he was a Catholic priest. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I did not do my research. I was hoping that yeah. he would just do all the hard yeah. work. Well, it, it, he was a Catholic priest uh, uh, with ambitions, specifically literary ambitions. And he figured out that there's one group who control the literary world. And guess what that group is? Take a wild guess. Choose. Yep. Oh, you said it. Kanye said it. Dave Chappelle said it. It's okay to say it now. You can say it and uh, and you can I'm hold gonna, your head up. Last high. time I did, oh, and I was had you on for an interview. Remember that guy did a hit piece on me saying that I was anti-Semitic because I yeah, well, dared listen, to I'll open this can of I'll, let, I'll let you. I'll let you in on a secret right now. Yeah. Anti-Semitism is a joke. Do you know who made it a joke? Dave Chappelle. Watch that monologue on Saturday Night Live. Did you see that? Yeah, it seems like what you've been saying for years, a lot of people are now coming out and, and saying. It's out, it's out in the open now. I'm not, it's not just E. Michael Jones, this weirdo from Indiana with his obsession. Everybody's talking about it now. The entire this is J Jonathan Greenblatt alienated the entire black community by doing this, by this attack on Kyrie and uh, Kanye. Yeah. And he blew up, not only did he do that, he blew up the most successful revolutionary movement in American history, which was known as the as the Black Jewish Alliance. He blew it up by his blindness uh, and overplaying his hand. Well, yeah. Um so I, get, I let think, me get back to James. Let me I think the double standard to, is just is just it's too obvious. The double standard. Right. I mean, if you the, the things that they write, like this this piece is anti-Catholic. But no one yeah, cares. Let me, but but <laughs> let me get back to that. Let me get back to James Carroll again. Yeah. So he's got this ambition. So he writes a book called Constantine's Sword. 
Well, guess what that's about? It's about how the Catholic Church is the most anti-Semitic institution in human history. Well, you're groveling, you're currying favor with the Jews who you're trading on your Catholic faith. You got that Roman collar. That's always good to have when you want to betray the Catholic faith yeah. uh, for, for access to the literary world so you can be a literary figure. That's oh, what James Carroll is. I mean, the, the quality of this article, though, is so, it's so, he just conflates so many things and he throws so many things in there that to the, to somebody who's not capable of any kind of critical thinking, you probably just nod along and go, oh yeah, this sounds really smart, but it's, it's not, it's not smart. Um, he says that there was a war on modernism, Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Um, condemned as heresy, the set of principles known as Americanism, which I had never heard of until I interviewed you for the first time. And I said, why are there so many Catholics going to fight these wars when two popes have spoken out against them? And you said one word, Americanism. And then I learned that that's like a thing. And there was a whole encyclical or letter or whatever written about it, a letter. Um, so he says, by 1965, at the Second Vatican Council, the church had begun to embrace such supposedly odious ideas like pluralism, the separation of church and state, the primacy of conscience, and the preference of experience over dogma, um, and freedom of the press. So um, is that true? Did the Vatican no. II say, That's yeah, like preference of experience yeah, what, what over document, dogma? What document, where's the citation, Father? Father, give us the citation here. Where's the footnote? He made it up. It's yeah, complete... Like, it's so fantasy. traditional dogma, I'm going to do away with that because, like, my yeah. I haven't had direct personal experience of a virgin birth, so therefore I'm going to do away with the dogma of the of the Catholic Church. That makes no sense, right? Is it just me? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Uh, most of this is is ridiculous. Um, and um, he says that the Supreme Court justices are undermining basic elements of American democracy. Um, wait, because, wait a minute. Stop. Stop. Roe versus Wade was imposed on the entire country by the Supreme Court. It was a complete violation of democracy. Right. So how was it imposed? Just because, well, first of all, it was just a bad law anyway, right? Which is why it got overturned, because it was just like a dictate from above. Even, 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 uh, even uh, Ginsburg, what was her first name? Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Even she said it was bad law. Even right. she, she right. went to her grave disappointed that the whole world, the United States, did not embrace the Jewish sacrament. Uh, she was bitter about that. Uh, she, but when she died, she was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett, and she's a Catholic. And the Catholics got together and they overturned Roe versus Wade. So, what has this got to do with democracy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but my bigger question is this part where he, I don't know if you bothered to read all of it, but um, he goes on to this, he makes this parallel between Darwin's like biological evolution. Um, and he says that by when, when the Pope said in 18, whatever, that life begins at conception, it was inherently a rejection of the idea of evolution. God, this is preposterous. This guy makes it up as he goes along. What's evolution got to do with life begins at conception? Explain that to me. That's I, I. He never makes that argument. He just says it's it's um 
Yeah, it's an it's an explicit rejection of evolutionary theory. And I'm like, what's the connection? I don't understand. So then he says, dynamic change was coming to be seen as the rule of life. Like, as if we didn't know that all life was changed, like even the pre-Socratics knew all life was changed. We've always known that things change, but reality doesn't Her change. Heraclitus said Heraclitus said Pontere. Ponter, what's everything, that? Everything flows. Everything flows. Oh no. So he was the he was the change guy. And he talks about there was a transforming of ideas, not only of how humanity came into being, but of how individual humans come into being. Well, just because ideas change doesn't necessarily when, mean when, when did the idea of that how individual human beings come into being how did that when did that change right i mean it's always been uh male and female coming together the woman gets pregnant and she gives birth now if you're talking about fetal de development at the time of thomas aquinas for example he didn't know anything about embryology so he didn't know uh when the uh when the seed came together with the with the ovum that that was the moment of conception he didn't know that he said he thought it could he, he thought it could have happened later than that the ensoulment could have happened later than that because he didn't understand embryology if he understood embryology he would have said yes of course it happens at the moment of conception so here's carol using uh, all of this ridiculous information as to to make a case that uh, doesn't make any sense. It makes what are you no saying? sense. And maybe that's just why I wanted to talk to you because, and then he goes on to talk about Genesis and he says, you know, we, we, we used to think that the story of Genesis, we, we took it to be literally true. And this is how God made man like, boom, he made man. And he goes, but now we know that, you know, it's all evolved and like we are now, evolved. From wait, monkeys. wait, remember, remember what I just said at the beginning about art, yeah. Art as the signature of man. There's never been a time when man wasn't an artist, at least in potential. He's at the very beginning. There's never been a time when man did not speak because that is part of the nature of man. It's called logos. It's called language. Okay. Now, this is something that all these guys are so blinded by evolution that they don't understand that creation cannot be evolutionary. It cannot be. Take the example of language. Adam uh, had the ability to speak. Okay. Let's, uh, Ratzinger said that uh, Adam's first words were spoken to God. Hmm. Now, that's good. That's okay. I, 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 I can understand that. But then Adam was alone. Suddenly he has a, a helpmate. Suddenly there is Eve there. Now, both of those people are rational creatures, which means they had to be able to speak from the moment they came into existence. Right? This right. could not have evolved. So if, if, if this is Adam, so Adam suddenly sees Eve. And what does he say? Hi, how are you? <laughs> and you really Eve says, Eve says, fine, how are you? No, I'm, I'm just using this gap. It had to be an all or nothing proposition. Language has always been an all or nothing proposition. It is impossible to have two separate tra tracks of evolution 
culminating in two separate human beings who suddenly speak the same language and are able to communicate with each other. That is impossible. That is yeah. impossible. Yeah, and even if, I mean, even if he wants to make the argument that different species like evolve, you know, they get darker fur or whatever over time. I mean, that what is he saying about the soul? Because he says that the whole idea that the soul is, that there's this ensoulment at one particular moment um, he says that's that that obvious. What, what is he trying to say? Like that there's like five percent of the soul is there, and then like three <laughs> weeks later, like fifteen percent more is there. How can you have how can you have five percent of a soul? Right, it's impossible. It's an all or nothing proposition. This is precisely what these idiot idiotic evolutionists don't understand. If you read the first chapter of Logos Rising, it is talking about the four atheists who were a popular dance craze about 10 years ago, the one thing they all have in common is that they are all Darwinists. And they all wow. believe in some type of gradual evolution of something that had to be come into existence all at once. They wow. cannot explain this existence. So the, the only philosopher uh, among that crowd was uh, Daniel Dennett. And he made what it has to be one of the dumbest statements in the history of philosophy. He said, the world, the universe created itself out of nothing or something very small. That is a colossally stupid statement. Take, <laughs> take, the, first, take the first part. Yeah. The universe created itself out of nothing. Okay, I have a question, uh, professor. Can I ask a question? <laughs> In order to create itself, the universe would have to exist before it existed. Right. Can, can you explain that? Can you explain that, Professor, how something can exist before it existed? Well, no, you can't. And the fact that you made that statement is, shows you how stupid you are. But then the second part says, or something very small. Well, that means the universe is already in existence. This is exactly the, the bind that these people are always in. They're always in that. They can't, they can't understand, they can't understand change. They can't right. understand creation. They just don't, they don't understand it. And they're constantly using biology as an excuse for metaphysics when they don't know anything. Even the philosopher among them doesn't know anything about metaphysics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that he is a, a little bit right when he says that like St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine or something in here, he says like they weren't sure when the soul was created. But I think what you say is they did not have the science of embryology. Right. They didn't know. They didn't this, know. Because yeah. that, that's, that's a 20th century phenomenon. Right. And right. I think what gets me too about this is that he keeps talking about like because the minute there's a soul, Catholics think there's a person, obviously. And so I he's trying to make, but he's trying to make it sound like, let's get serious. None of these people who are in favor of abortion, probably, they probably don't even believe in a soul anyway. So why are we even, why is that even like an argument? I mean. Worse than not believing it, they don't understand what the soul is. Right. So the people the soul, who are. The soul, the soul is the form of the body. That means that it is the animating principle of the body. These things come into existence at the same time. You cannot have a body without a soul, and you cannot have a soul without a body. The soul without a body is known as an angel. 
Okay, you cannot have, or, or uh, when we go to heaven, the soul separates from the body. But the soul and the body come into existence at the same time because the soul is the form of the body. It's the, 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 the relationship between existence and essence. So it's, okay? yeah, so, so it seems like his argument is that because there's evolution, that means that the soul is gradually evolves in the body as the baby grows. But even then, it's like, if you can't pinpoint a time, shouldn't you just go back to the one point in time that you can actually pinpoint where there is something new, <laughs> which is conception? So I, I don't right. understand what his argument is. And then he goes into this whole thing about like originalism and this idea of original sin. Um, and he has a problem with, I mean, even this quote, the reduction of a dynamic metamorphosing conception to a single abstract entity the unborn denies both time and change <laughs> what does that even mean i don't understand yeah i i just i can't believe so in it. other words if you make a, a definite statement then you are denying change so we can't make any definite statements well didn't right. he just make a definite statement or, or right. is, is he the only one allowed to make definite statements that's exactly what he did there yeah that's true. And then he talks about how this transformation of attitudes and like what the polls show. So because more Catholic women obviously are getting abortions or people who consider themselves Catholic and attitudes are changing, we need to just like go with that. <laughs> like as if reality itself is changing because attitudes are changing. And I think this comes back to like your book on Logos and like the some kind of order and of reality and that, that, that it doesn't change. Like our understanding. No, of it no, no it, it, look, the man who understood this in a very sophisticated fashion was not Parmenides. It was not. Uh, it was Heraclitus. Heraclitus talked about the flame. Heraclitus would talk about the flame. He was uh, in Ephesus. He was probably influenced by Zoroastrianism. What's a candle flame? It's always in motion and it's always the same. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Or, or a river. Take the river. The river is always moving, yet it's always the same. This is the paradox that you have to understand about existence in time. So there was a time when you were that big. You see that? You mm -hmm. were that big. In order to remain the same, in order to remain Ellen, you had to change. You had to grow. This is they're right. not they're not opposites. They are the same thing. Right. And what we're talking about is existence follows a certain path known as essence. In order to be you, you have to change. And he said he's got this this uh you know sophomore sophomore in high school uh, uh dichotomy if it changes it can't be uh any type of stable being well that's that's ridiculous right yeah i mean i guess you're right it really isn't worth like um it really isn't worth like deconstructing this because it's just so bad like it's he just throws all this stuff in there he doesn't explain it and he gets published in the new yorker um it's very upsetting um, but I think there is this kind of panic that there are these Catholic Supreme Court justices and, um, 
and that somehow this is going to undermine democracy and they're going to bring their religion into no, it. No, no, let's you know? let's be let's go back to what I said at the beginning. Who's who are you in panic? I'm not in panic because Rovers there's one group that's in panic. So well, name it. Say it. Say well, it. Who's that group? A lot of women. So whether or not they're Jewish, there's a lot of women who are in no, panic. No, it's the it's the Jews who are in panic because you can't generalize about women. Because some of them do, some of them don't. But the Jews are unanimous in saying this is a fundamental Jewish value. And they are in panic because this is the end of Jewish hegemony over America. They know that. And that's why they're in panic. So I'm curious about this. Do you actually, I, I would pay to hear a conversation between like you and Ben Shapiro. Did you, what, what happened in that conversation? Did he, is he pro-life or pro-choice or what? He's pro-life. He's a, he's a conservative what does that mean? He's pro-life and he came to South Bend and he did a lot of blah, blah, blah for about an hour, refuting arguments that nobody needs. You know, I don't need your help, Ben. We're all smarter than you think we are. You, you've got this attitude toward the goyim that you're going to tell us the poor goyim in South Bend explain how to refute sophomoric arguments. So he ends the talk and then I uh, I go up and I get to the microphone and I say, Ben, I've been in this uh, for a struggle for over 40 years now. I knew all the people who founded this organization and there's something new. And the new thing is 140 Jewish organizations have now said it's a fundamental Jewish value. So why didn't you bring this up? Well, he said, it's not true. Well, I said, well, wait a minute. You know, uh, you, just who are you? You know, you're one guy. This is 140 Jewish organizations. You have no pope. You got no magisterium. It's majority rules. And then he goes, launches into that. And so uh, by the end, I said, well, do you say this to Jewish organizations? Or you just preach to the choir? And at that point, you could feel the hostility in the crowd. And that's as far as I got. Okay. Well, I, I wow. thought I was going to have an interview, but that, that's it. But I, I mean, that was enough. I've been through this before. Did you see the Dave? The two words you should never put together. This is what Dave Chappelle said: "The and Jews." Right. Because as soon as you do that, you're defining. You're saying there is an entity out there, and they don't like that. They always want to be this moving target that never believes in it. Oh, wait a minute! I forgot. You just said 140. You did say you all believe in something, and it's abortion. And we're not supposed to notice that you're an odious group of of malcontents. If that's the highest thing you can think of in this life, if you're all in support of that, what kind of religion is this? Now we know what we're dealing with. We didn't know that before. Yeah, I think that's, I, I didn't know that about all the Jewish organizations. Because um, so often, I don't know, it seems like the Ben Shapiro's of the world are like, no, like our, our, like our morality is like, just like Christianity. There's like no real difference. I'm sure you saw the interview between him and um, Bishop Barron. And, you know, it was, there's it a, was a it was a disaster. It was yeah. a disaster. He I said, mean, Shapiro said, uh, Bishop, am I going to hell? There's a simple answer to that question. And Bishop Barron doesn't know it. The simple answer is, Ben, are you baptized? And Ben would say, of course, no. And then you say, well, baptism is necessary for salvation. If you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Is so, that complicated? That's yeah. not complicated, is it? This James Carroll says that um, that Vatican II did away with the idea of no salvation outside the church. 
Is that a, a, where's the footnote? I know. Where's the footnote, Father? Is it your apodictic statement? It's ipse dixit. He's like the Pope. This is James James <laughs> infallible Carol. He yeah. doesn't have to give footnotes. I mean, poor Schlemiel's like me. I have to give footnotes. He can just say it, and everybody at the New Yorker nods because it's a Jewish magazine uh, pandering to uh, Jewish uh, people who have become Jews because they had abortions. This is, He's trying to calm their consciences. I mean, this is sophisticated. You don't get any more sophisticated than New Yorker. I mean, that's right. it's, a, it's a lifestyle magazine which tells you what kind of wine to buy and what kind of paintings to hang on your wall. That's the whole point of it. Right. Uh, it used to be people like John Updike. I remember when I was in high school, the sole goal of being an educated person was to go and buy, subscribe to the New Yorker so you could read John Updike. Well, those days are long gone, long gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he even says that um, I think the, what made me actually laugh out loud, the one sentence was birth control and abortion are not the same thing. <laughs> are you sure, father? What is, what is it then? <laughs> it seems like they're pretty related. I mean, yeah. Um, and then he talks about how they these Catholics did away with they revoked the constitutional right to obtain an abortion. I don't. I've read the Bill of Rights. I really don't think there's a right. To where was it, Father? Again, where's yeah. your footnote, Father? Is it between the First Amendment? Uh, if you want to talk about the Constitution, go back to Griswold versus Connecticut. And they found they struck down all the laws prohibiting the sale of con contraception because of the emanation of a penumbra. The emanation from a penumbra. Uh, in other words, it's not there. Penumbra uh, means sh a shadow is umbra. Penumbra is like half shadow, the emanation of a half shadow, which means uh, we just made it up. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So this was probably not like worth going through all this stuff, but um, I had some other questions I was going to ask you. This is totally off topic, but kind of not off topic, but we've rambled around so much that I'm going to throw it out there. So the pre-Socratics, pre you probably probably wrote a lot about them in your book on Logos, right? Right. right. Um, are there a lot of primary texts associated with? No, no. There's okay. one prime. There's one primary text. It's a deals a fragmented der Vorsokratiker. It's in. It's a German book, and it's basically those fragments. Fragmenta. It's fragments. Okay. So you have, uh, you know, uh, picked up piece of paper somewhere uh, uh oftentimes it's quoted in plato and aristotle but basically that's that's what you deal with that was one of the first things when i studied greek that was one of the first things we dealt with so hmm. pantare is the classic that's heraclitus everything flows stuff like that okay stuff like that yeah um because i i used to teach ancient greek literature and so i and i'm trying to do that now i'm teaching a class on the iliad on my own online and I used to go from Homer to Aeschylus and make this jump from semester one to semester two. And it, oh, it never sat right with me because I was like, I know there's a lot that happened between between Homer and Aeschylus. And I think um, Aeschylus would be easier to understand if if some, so what, somewhere so, between what, those two, you taught about about the pre-Socratic early scientists and the natural philosophers and all of that. Right. So it, it so what what you. What happened is that uh, 
the fall of Troy probably took place around 1200 BC. And at that time, civilization completely collapsed. And there was no writing, there was no nothing. Now, during this period of time, the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey probably emerged as oral epics. Uh, but but uh, in around 800 BC, they were written down for the first time. And this is also the time when the pre-Socratics are getting started. That's around the time when Thales started writing. And he said, he's the guy who said, everything is water. That and was he his, predicted, he predicted the eclipse, right? Didn't he know that was going to happen? I, th I think, I think so. Yes. Uh, but, but what the significant thing is he had some sense that there was a unity to nature, but he was handicapped because he thought in picture book terms he had to have the unity had to be a thing mm. and so then <laughs> yeah. uh, anaxagoras said it was air and then heraclitus said it was fire but heraclitus is much more sophisticated because he said basically he was the first one to use the term logos as the principle and that is the principle that is the principle there is an order to the universe and uh, saint john took that tradition and plugged it into Hebrew scripture and came up with the metaphysical prologue to the gospel of St. John, where he said in the beginning there was Logos. Logos was with God and Logos is God. Logos is God is one of the most profound statements in human history. Mm. Yeah. I think with a lot of this talk of abortion and stuff, um, people just, they ascribe, you know, this thinking this level of thinking where there is something uh, such as a soul and it it it's particular to human life and the animals don't share it like they they ascribe no, they that do. to christian All religion but it was but it was around long before no, that's, christianity that's not, the idea of the soul is a greek concept yeah and like, and and, and the, uh, by the way all animals have souls if if it moves if it if, if it is a living being it has a soul potatoes have souls because yeah. they are living creatures. Soul is another word for animation, which means it has life. Life has life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just think if people knew more about what happened before Christ came along, they might be able to understand better. Well, what was truly different at that point? What really changed? Because a lot of things that people think are Christian and, oh, that's your religion can be figured out through just the use of natural reason as it was hundreds of years before Christ, you know what I mean? But we don't have that kind of perspective anymore. I know. That's because, that's why I wrote Logos Rising. It's the replacement for the philosophy course you never got in college. Okay, yeah, that could be really good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go buy that. Um, and then maybe I can teach my students what happened between Homer and Aeschylus. Um, I deal with that, I deal with that in Logos Rising. I oh, do okay. deal with that. So I'll just steal all your stuff then. Is that okay? It's not called it's not <laughs> called stealing. If you cite me and give me a footnote, it's not it's called uh, scholarship. Oh, okay. Not theft. Or you can just come teach that class. You know. I'm here. You used yes. to teach. You used to teach, right? I was a professor. I was a, a gymnasium teacher in Germany. I was a professor at college here in South Bend. Yeah. Well, do you I, I sometimes. Come do you want to come work for me and teach a class on this? Work stuff? for you. <laughs> yeah. How much do you pay? <laughs> well, no, you have to find you have to bring in your own students. <laughs> it sounds like a great deal. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you have a course. Do you have a course right now? Yeah, I have one on the Iliad and I'm making one on the Odyssey. Um, 
But what I'm hoping to do is to get other teachers to come teach kind of like one-off classes. So instead of like an entire curriculum, like teachers just teaching like one class. Um, and you, it, how many how many students do you have? Well, none yet. I just started this a couple months oh, ago. Oh, good. So. <laughs> I tell you, if you get uh, uh, a number of students together and they all agree to buy Logos Rising, I will teach a class. Really? Yes, okay. that's, all, that's all you have to do. I'm going to take you up on that. How many students would you need? 20. 20? You'll teach a class. Okay. That'd be fun. And then um, I'll get 30%, of course. 30%. <laughs> if you, if I tell, all right, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Yeah. If you, if you buy 20 books, I will give you a 50% discount. That way you will make money on the course too. Oh. You will, you will make as much money as I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, think about this. I like this idea. So if you get a million students. Yeah. Oh, do I have to do math now? I, I'm a, I, if you I, make them, if you, <laughs> if you, if you get a million students, you will make $24 million. Think oh, great. Well, I mean, considering how popular my podcast with you are, I think maybe I can get 20 students in this class. I think you could. And they don't, and they can be adults too, right? I assume they're going to be adults. It's, it's this is, yeah, oh, sure. See, of course I teach they can. high school kids mostly, but I mean, adults want to. Learn I have, this. I have no restraint. I don't care whether you're uh, 18 or 88. I don't care. If you're All interested right. in Logos, I'm the guy. Okay. So I'm going to take you up on this. Um, this is very exciting. You, you're my first teacher to sign up. <laughs> Good. Good. All right. We'll talk more. Hey, I have one more question for you. So we haven't talked since November of 2019 and a lot has happened since then. Can you just give me your quick take on all that stuff with COVID and all the lockdowns and what is your take on all that? Cause I never really heard you interviewed during that time, you know, very much. What happened? What was that all about? Logos is rising. It kind of felt more like the apocalypse to me. So I don't know. But what we have now is a consciousness that we did not have. That's so true. that, 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 uh, that uh, era is over. No one's going to go back to pretend that COVID was about a disease uh, and medicine. It was about I, social control. We I all know, know that I now. Still that's know why, that's why I'm saying. Yeah. I still know people who have, who are getting like their fifth booster because they still and they still check the code. Does that mean? Does that day. mean that every single person has uh, uh, achieved a higher state of consciousness? Logos is not a majority operation here. There's always going to be a cutting edge who understand the movement of logos in human history, and that's they're the people you have to talk to. And if the other people don't want to talk to them, well, then that's their problem. But Logos, we now know more than we did before. We now know that this science, uh, as it gets this weaponized science, is all just bullshit and a form of social control. Okay. Thanks yeah. to Dr. Fauci. Thanks to the wickedness of Dr. Fauci, we now know that. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I figured you'd be on that side of things. Um, my favorite meme from that time, it just said, I follow the science. And then it had an arrow pointing to the TV, and it just said, the science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the TV is the science now. We can just believe everything that we see on the TV. Um, That's right. 
Okay, so one more question. When I first interviewed you, I asked you what you thought about the JFK assassination. In my second interview with you, I asked you if you were a CIA agent. So I have one more question for you that's totally random. And it is, okay. do you think that we went to the moon? Is this a trick question? No, I just want to know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, that one of the most persuasive videos I ever saw in my life was the one that said that we did not go to the moon. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know that you never, you will always say what you think. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about you. Um, and you don't really, you just let the chips fall where they may. And that's probably what we need more of. Um, and speaking of undermining American democracy, this guy is so concerned about abortion, but I don't, I don't hear him um, complaining about our lack of free speech and all the censorship that's gone on in the past um, three years. How do you have a functioning democracy without free speech? How do you have that? That's because he's a, a, a proxy warrior for the Jews. He betrayed the Catholic Church. He betrayed his vows as a priest. He's a traitor. And so, therefore, he, the only thing that's left for him is to lick the boots of the Jews and come up with these completely irrational articles that nobody would ever take seriously anyway. This is right. what happens. This is what happens when you make decisions like that. It's yeah. tragic. A tragic figure. I hope I hope he repents. I hope he comes around and repents for his sins uh, uh, and be, repents his betrayal of the Catholic faith uh, and is saved because right now he's on the road uh, to damnation. Mm. There's no other way. This He's arguing. He knows that what he's saying isn't true. It's just one preposterous lie after another. Uh, he must know that. And at, at a certain point, even if the money they pay you is not going to satisfy you because you know you're lying. Yeah. You know you're betraying what you really believe in. It's terrible, yeah. terrible situation. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you, Ellen. It's a pleasure. All right. Get I'll those follow, students. I'll follow up with you about that. <laughs> Get those students. Okay. All right. Take care. Good talking to you. Bye-bye.